I want to invite you guys to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Um, In these weeks together, uh, we have been walking our way through some of the foundational ideas in the scriptures from the first three chapters of Genesis, and tonight we make a shift to the last few chapters of the Bible in the book of Revelation. The way I think of this, y'all, if I can like work it out for you spatially, if you will, is that the promises and that the things that our God has done back there in the earliest pages of the scriptures and the things that he has promised to do out there, the final pages of the scriptures and the final days of human life um, makes a dramatic difference in our present tense moment. And that's what we're after together um, in this time. Um, So we make our way to the book of Revelation, and as has been our custom, I'm going to read from the opposite testament. So here in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, um, I'll read, that'll be our sermon text, but I'm also going to read for you from Isaiah chapter 65. And before I read and before we get into it, one last comment. Um, When I knew that tonight that our choir, which will be um, singing for our analysis and carol service, when I knew that they would sing tonight... The first thought I had, I mean, this is literally the first thought that went through my head. I thought, I cannot wait to turn around and say, I mean, I know I'm preaching to the choir right now. (laughs) I've been in pastoral ministry for almost 17 years, and that's the first time I've ever been able to, like, legitimately say that. So I'm just saying I'm excited already. Okay. So from Isaiah chapter 65, if you want to listen carefully to these words. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. And then from Revelation chapter 21, it's also in your worship guide. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in this moment, we ask by the power of your spirit that you would do the thing that only you can do. But we ask in your kindness and in your mercy that you would take these words that I've prepared. Lord, these words, however mysterious from your word, Lord, and that you would use them to great effect in our hearts and in our souls, we pray. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Is there anything I need to do differently, Jeremy? I do not. I'm just going to keep talking. So in 2013, uh, Mandy and I removing from the apartment that we lived in to the home that we live in today. And uh, we were packing up our apartment to move into this house, and there's nothing that I hate more than moving, and there's nothing I'm as bad at as I am packing boxes. Now, this is where the story starts to go dreadfully wrong, because Mandy was pregnant, And she was in a stage of pregnancy where she just couldn't like lift her head off the pillow because she was so sleepy and tired. So what that means is that I was in charge of packing boxes, organizing things, and labeling them. For 24 to 48 hours, the world got a glimpse at what my life would be like without Mandy, okay? And at a very low moment of almost total despair, I got the biggest box I could find. I slid it to the corner of the room. I labeled it, and I quote, stuff. (laughs) And I started to just put everything left in it. And then I took that to the moving truck. And then guess what I did? I I got another box and I put it in the corner of the room and I just labeled it stuff and put everything in there. Now, I know that for some of you people, I know what you're thinking. Like when I tell you that, I can already tell what you're thinking. First thing you're thinking is you're not thinking because now you're breaking out in hives and you're starting to sweat because of such a disorganized way of doing something. Another thing you're thinking is, am I really gonna trust that guy with my soul? the one who packs boxes like that. All I know to say is I'm sorry. It was a disaster. It was ridiculous. But I tell you that to actually say something to you very serious and so deeply hopeful. Like I can't imagine saying to you something as precious as what I'm about to say. 
This passage of scripture tells us, promises us, that Jesus is actually doing something similar. That in a new heavens and a new earth that he has come to bring, he is putting every painful, sorrowful, tear-inducing thing that makes you grieve, that makes you sad and sorrowful. And he's putting it in a box, if you will, that's labeled former things. All these things that cause so much pain in our life will be put away and will be considered simply a thing of the past. There's a main thing I want you to hear tonight. If you don't hear anything else I say in the moments we have together, I want to just tell you as plainly and as clearly as I can. This is it. This is the main thing. Jesus is making all things new. It's a direct quote from this text. He says, I am making all things new. If you want to know what this sermon's about, it's about the fact that Jesus is making all things new. Now, what we'll find in this text is that in order for him to make all things new, he has to remove other things. He has to remove obstacles, barriers. So let's take a look together. And the way I want to approach this in our moments together, the first thing I want to do is explain to you this vision that John sees. Okay, John sees a vision, and he writes it out in the book of Revelation. And in particular, we have a piece of this vision where he sees a new heavens and a new earth. Now, just, just really quickly before we get into this in detail. Revelation is a book of the scriptures that cause a lot of confusion, a lot of frustration, a lot of questions. But it's actually a book that's very, very simple. Here's the idea behind the book of Revelation. The idea is that God decides to reveal to John what's really going on behind the curtain. The idea behind the book of Revelation is if, that we, if we could just simply get a peek behind the barrier that exists between earth and heaven, if we could just get a peek, if we could just peel back the curtain and get a peek to what's going on in the heavens, you have all the reason in the world to hope and you have all the reason in the world to endure whatever happens. That's what Revelation's about. So I want to explain to you this vision that John sees here of a new heavens and new earth. And after doing that, I just want to offer you two words of application. That's the way that this will unfold. The vision that is seen here, I'll try my best to explain it, and I'll offer you a couple words of application. First of all, look with me at verse 1 of chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. The first thing John sees is a new heavens and a new earth. The first thing I want to make sure you understand, both tonight and in the coming weeks, that this final restoration of all things, this heaven, 
is a new heavens and a new earth. In other words, a very physical existence. You and I will have resurrected physical bodies in a physical new heavens and new earth. And that's important for us to know for many reasons. First of all, just briefly, um, it, it makes this life in this world mean something because the new heavens and the new earth comes as a continuation of all the things that God has already done. I mean, it's a physical existence that helps us take seriously our own physical bodies and our life in this world. Yo, when I was growing up, I grew up thinking it was no one's fault. It's like I just caught this. I caught the idea that heaven was like a, a world in which we floated around like spirits. Okay, ready? In a church service that never ended. That did not sound like heaven to me. But the picture here is of, of a new heavens and a new earth resurrected bodies, physical existence. Do you pick up on the fact that we're told that the sea was no more? Let me explain. In the ancient world, the sea was a symbol of chaos, of darkness, and of evil. So when we're told that in this new heavens and earth there is no more sea, what we're supposed to hear is that this barrier to our flourishing Chaos and evil will be removed. It'll be gone. The waters, if you will, will be calm. Look at verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Next week, we'll talk about this New Jerusalem at length. But for tonight, we learned that it's like a bride adorned for a husband. It's like a bride because this new Jerusalem, inside of it are citizens, citizens that belong to the kingdom of God, okay? Citizens that know God and that God has brought safely through the trials and tribulations of this world. He's brought us as his people safely through. verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. If you remember back in Genesis 3, Adam, because of his sin, Adam and Eve, they hide away from God in the garden. And from that point forward, because of their sin, there's this barrier. There's this barrier to full fellowship that must necessarily exist between God's people and God himself. And what we're told in this text is that this barrier is removed. It's gone. There's a full fellowship that God's people get to have with God himself. We'll spend more time on this in a few weeks. But let me just say for tonight that is the actual reward of your faith. Verse four, precious words. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away.
I do wonder tonight what sort of former thing that causes you pain and sorrow. What former thing are you most looking forward to being a former thing? Y'all, because I'm our pastor, I have this access into people's lives that's precious to me. And I know in this room, there are chronic illnesses. There's so many stories of loss. There are unmet longings. There are some broken relationships. There's besetting sins that have damaged. There's fears. But this text tells us that all of those things and whatever else you would put in it will one day go over in a corner, in a box, if you will, called former things. In other words, there's a day coming where you and I would have a conversation in new heavens and new earth, and you'd say to me, Joel, do you remember those painful, sorrowful things? And I'll look back and say, not really. And you'll look back at me and say, me neither. That day's coming for you and me. Verse five. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. It's important. I am making all things new. I, being Jesus, is is making all things new. Not only will Jesus make things new fully and finally one day, but he's actually actively making all things new in this very moment. It's a strong way of saying this. I am making all things new means there's no contingency. It's not I might make things new. I'm hoping I get to make things new. If these things work out, then I can make things new. It's not that, any of that. Jesus is saying, I'm making all things new. In other words, he's making them all new even right now. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It's Jesus' way of saying, I'm making all things new, and you can trust me. We might use language like, I guarantee it. Take it to the bank. I promise. That's what Jesus is saying. And he said to me in verse 6, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is Jesus' way of saying, I am making all things new. You can trust me, and trust me, I am uniquely capable because of who I am, the king of all the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the greatest and the best. I am uniquely capable of making good on every single one of my promises. And it follows, right? After he says these things, there's an offer, and then there's a warning. Look at verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and here is the offer. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. In other words, anyone who wants to have this who wants to have this peace and this joy and this restoration, anyone who wants to dwell securely, anyone who wants to have God, to have God as their own, can have him, anyone. 
And this is a conclusion of a theme that has run all the way through the pages of the scriptures, from the first promises in Genesis all the way to this moment, that if anyone would turn to this Lord, that person will always, 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 always meet him in his mercy and in his grace every time. This is an echo of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55. It says, come and drink of the waters that actually satisfy, and you can have them for free without payment. Why do you spend all your time eating and drinking that which does not satisfy when you can have me? The offer of this passage is that for anyone, anyone, they can have God. My daughter, Millie, who's four years old, she um, has this little thing she does where she scribbles on a piece of paper, just this scribbly thing, and she pins it on her door. And I'll say to her, baby, what does that say? And she'll say, it says, come in, everybody. (laughs) I mean, this is what Jesus is saying, truly. He's saying, come in, everybody. says, to all who conquer, verse 7, the one who conquers will have this as a heritage. Remember, in the book of Revelation, to conquer is not to gather an army and, and, and wage any kind of war. To conquer in the book of Revelation is to endure faithfully through trial. So to all who endure faithfully through trial, they have all of this beauty, all of this presence of God, all of this restoration of all things, it's there for them. But at the end, it ends in verse 8 with a warning. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. A couple comments I want to make about this verse in particular. This is not a list of people sincerely wanting to follow God and to know him and to follow Jesus who are somehow not in. Sometimes we get a picture like that in our minds and the Bible doesn't teach something like that. But instead, this list is more like the other list that we get in the book of Revelation. It's a list of sort of this classic group of people who in the ancient world in particular were opposed to the things of God and very actively and directly persecuting his people. And the promise here is that those who hurt and wound and destroy and damage and persecute God's people, that they'll be removed so that God's people can dwell securely. So the great promise of the Bible is that one one day God would have his people dwelling in his place under his rule safely and securely. And the promise here is that God promises to remove any threats to his people. I want to make one more comment that to us sometimes who've been able to live a Christian life pretty free of persecution, 
These words might kind of rattle us a little bit. But if we're reading these, these words in another part of the world, for example, I read this week about Christians in Northeast Nigeria. See, these words ring a tone of deep and abiding hope that there's a day coming when God's people will be able to dwell and dwell securely. That's the vision of this text, that Jesus is making all things new, that he's doing this all things new, making even now. So I want to offer you, before we celebrate at this table, two particular words of application. So to the question, okay, Joel, what do we do with this vision? I want to offer you two particular words of application around the idea of endurance. If you guys remember last week, I talked to you guys about Christian hope. Okay, when you and I use the words, I hope, we're often expressing a desire for something we're not certain of. I give you the example of my son, Henry, who said to me, Daddy, I hope we can go camping. What he means is, Dad, I'm not sure about your follow through. But I really has some pipe dream, hope we go camping. See, Christian hope is exactly the opposite of that. Christian hope is knowing that there is a certainty in the future. And there's a certainty in the future. In this case, the certainty of Jesus Christ one day fully and finally having made all things new and having removed every barrier to the flourishing of his people. And Christian hope is about knowing that for certain and finding a way to sort of pull it into our present tense moment so that it can transform us. So last week I talked to you guys about the hope of Genesis 3.15 that one day there would be one, Jesus Christ, who would come to crush the serpent's head and knowing that evil will be defeated. It's like we're able to grasp that hope and it makes new things possible in the here and now for you and for me. And in the same way, just like God promised to do those things back in Genesis chapter 3, and he promises to finish them fully and finally, see, we're able to grasp that hope and bring it into our present tense moment in ways that transform our lives. And the fact that Jesus Christ is making all things new and he promises to do it fully and finally offers you and I deep and lasting hope. So I want to tell you two things that I think we're supposed to do to apply these truths. First of all, there is a clear call in this text to endurance, particularly through hard, painful things. If you find yourself tonight particularly weighed down by the pain and the brokenness and the sorrow and the sadness of this world. What I want you to hear me say tonight is that these things are temporary. These things that you're thinking of in this moment will end. These trials that you endure through these things, there's not one second not one second of your suffering that is ever wasted. But instead, God promises, he promises, he promises that he will make our suffering useful 
to bring us to that day. I don't know if you have ever been in a situation where you've had to endure deep, deep hardship. In fact, I know many of you have. And there is something about knowing that it won't last forever that can give you such rich hope and can empower such deep, deep endurance through. In other words, in your suffering, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. Jesus is making all things new, and he will one day fully and finally. So endurance through hardship. There's a second word of application here, and I want to say it like this. The second call, I think, of this text is endurance, not just through hardship, but endurance in holiness. It's interesting that this warning of this text about those who will be left on the outside, it's interesting that that warning is issued to God's people. See, this book is a book written to God's people. In other words, throughout the book of Revelation, these calls to repentance are dotted throughout because apparently... There's a way in which you and I, though we are citizens of this new Jerusalem, sometimes we can begin to live as if we're citizens of another kingdom. We can begin to dabble in the works of darkness. Jesus is making all things new, but we can begin to put on an old self. Instead, we can forget who we are. It's interesting that one of the first prayers that are prayed in the Advent season is a, is a prayer that goes like this. God, would you help us? And it's from Romans chapter 13. Would you help us cast off works of darkness? So I guess what I want you to hear me say tonight is if you're here and you read a list like this and you start to think in your mind that sin has you strangled in such a way I want you to hear this as a call to repent, but I want you to again remember the offer. Anyone who's thirsty can come. I want you to remember the promise. The promise is that God himself is committed to you. A bride adorned for her husband. In other words, he is committed to be at work in your heart and in your soul and in your life to bring you to that day. If you are here tonight and you're struggling with sin and darkness, you're struggling to endure in holiness, I want you to hear me say that Jesus is making all things new, and that includes even you. Let's pray. Lord, these things, as always, are easier often to talk about from a pulpit than to live in the realities of our lives. But God, we are so abundantly joyful to know that you are making all things new. And I pray that that would empower endurance through every hardship. Lord, I pray that that would empower endurance and holiness until we meet you. We pray that your good work that you have begun in each of us, that you'd be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. 
Lord, we pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.